It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Call anytime. 1-300-736-736. Or text 0433-981116. This is the Sporting Capital. Welcome back to the Sporting Capital here this Wednesday night on SEN. Jordan Canellas with you for the next hour uh, on the station right around Australia. Good to be in your company. If you want to give us a call, you can you can uh, do that. one 736 736 all thanks to Harcourts. Or you can send us a text if you like as well. 0433-98-1116 on the 40 Winks temper texts. Well, the big... News headline from out of England in the last uh, 24 to 48 hours has been Premier League powerhouse Manchester City and their breaches of um, of uh, failing to report uh, some of their finances to the league and to the FA and that has been uh, and that's been an investigation ongoing now for about four or so years. Uh, to tell us a bit more about it and what could come from it is uh, from BBC. Uh, sport, Chris Coles, one of their reporters, football reporters over there in England. Chris, uh, welcome back to SEN. Good to chat. How's things? Hello, Jordan. Yeah, very good, thank you. I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Tell us a bit about, uh, firstly, just the outline. So some people might might not fully understand what Manchester City are being uh, being charged for. What exactly are they? have they breached here, Manchester City? Well, uh, how long have you got, Jordan? Because they've been charged with uh, an awful lot of things. Um, briefly, yeah, this is um, a culmination, really, of a four-year-long investigation by the Premier League into Manchester City's finances. And just the length of the investigation will, will tell you how seriously they have taken this. And City have been charged with more than 100, 100 breaches of financial rules. And these date back all the way to 2009 up to 2018. So to cut a very, very long story short, there are there are two areas that Manchester City, according to the Premier League, have fallen foul of. And the first one is artificially inflating the money coming into the club. We, and not just the Premier League, but UEFA competitions as well, are governed by quite strict financial fair play regulations and any money that comes into the club via commercial or sponsorship deals uh, does have to come up against financial fair play restrictions. Um, The Premier League claimed that the money wasn't generated by commercial and sponsorship deals, but actually was coming from the club owner that Manchester City hid behind sponsorship income. So that's really the first area that uh, Manchester City have been accused of of breaching. And the second is almost an opposite to that, that they've been accused of artificially deflating the costs of running the club by doing things like having managers on contracts with, with third parties, with other companies that are connected to the owners. So they don't actually have to put the, the, the manager's contracts through the club, instead putting them through, through other companies. And therefore, uh, the, the true cost of managing the club isn't reflected through Manchester City, the football club. So that's the second area. So, and then there are obviously, there are, there are lots of different things and nuances in all of that. 
that come to these 100 breaches. So it, it's it's clearly very serious. It's clearly uh, a, a process and an investigation that the Premier League have, have spent a lot of time uh, putting their efforts into. Uh, and as always with these things, it's worth stressing that Manchester City say that this is a surprise to us. We believe we've done absolutely nothing wrong. And they're confident in their position that they will... Uh, they will win this this particular case. So a very interesting few, well, goodness me, days, weeks, months lie ahead, I suspect. What would have set this uh, investigation off? Because, as you said, it started in 2018. It's dating back to 2009, which is pretty much the time that the um, the, the Emirates uh, owners came in. What would have... What do you think roughly would have been the trigger point? Maybe not a specific moment, but generally speaking, for the Premier League to actually launch this investigation? I think, Jordan, that the, the big trigger point was back in 2018. A uh, German newspaper called Der Spiegel published uh, leaked documents, not just from Manchester City, but from quite a few big European clubs, um, claiming that this is what Manchester City were doing. So a lot of the breaches that they've been charged with, the Spiegel said back in 2018, look, we've got we've got evidence. Here are some leaked documents. There was actually a, a, a Portuguese hacker um, started all of this off by, by basically finding these documents or hacking into these documents and, and giving them to Der Spiegel, who, who published all of these things. So if you look at the date, and that was back end of 2018, four years later or so, you can see where the Premier League have started their investigation back in 2018. So they've had a look. It's taken them four years. I mean, we know these things are uh, are always very slow processes. So I suspect it was it was that that got the Premier League uh, kicking into gear. Now, as always with these things, Jordan, it, there's an awful lot of, of political. Um, there is a political angle to all of this because here in the UK, the the governments are about to release. Um, a white paper on football governance. And there's been a long debate about the, the, the government stepping in to to alleviate some of the problems that the Premier League and English football have had over recent years. And that's things like clubs going out of business, uh, clubs being fined because of financial fair play. So the, the cynics and the sceptics out there suggest that maybe this has happened now and the Premier League are preempting what the government are going to say. And it's almost the Premier League turning around and saying, well, actually, look, we have got our house in order. We know what we're doing. We, we're taking these allegations very seriously. So, look, we know what we're doing, as opposed to the government coming in and saying, we don't think you're fit to to, to run this league, and therefore we're going to put proposals in place. So, so yeah, as I say, it would be very interesting to see what happens next. But in terms of a trigger point, I think undoubtedly it was it was the big leak of... of of 2018, which um, feels many, many, many years ago for, for several reasons. So that that white paper from the government. So if that's acted upon and 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 they are allowed to then uh, set the regulations, let's say, or set the standards of the Premier League, is that uh, are the Premier League then a little afraid that um, their league could be compromised by what the government um, could could enforce, and therefore maybe the quality of the league isn't at the standard that the Premier League wants it to be? Is that kind of where we're looking? What we're looking at? Yeah, I suspect that the Premier League are a little concerned about how much power that the government will, or the regulator will have on on what they do. Um, and again, to put a cynical hat on, the Premier League is, is such a lucrative business. We know that. The TV deals that are done, not just in the UK, but around the world, run into the billions so I suspect the Premier League are a little bit wary of, of what will happen to their to their profit margin. Now, clearly, that there's more at play than just money. Indeed, the government are, are wanting to get involved, 
as I mentioned, because the, the people that suffer with these things are always the fans. So we've seen in this country, and not just in this country, to be honest, around Europe in particular, big clubs, historic clubs that play such important roles in the community go out of business or very nearly go out of business because of mismanagement by football club owners that think, oh, great, I tell you what, we'll come in, we'll spend lots of money, we'll get into the Premier League, in which case your your profits go through the roof because of how lucrative the Premier League is, and happy days. Of course, this is sport. It doesn't work like that. And as always, in the Premier League and in most leagues, there are teams that have to be relegated, and with that comes huge dents in profits. But club owners obviously take that, that risk, but then when they get bored and think, actually, I can't get to the Premier League, I'm going to pull the plug then that football club dies. And that can't be right. That cannot be right. So I think that's the main reason why this the government wants to get involved or a regulator wants to get involved. And the Premier League, and, and, and throwing to that, Jordan, very quickly, of course, the, the failed European Super League that, that very nearly um, that came to fruition a couple of years ago. I think the Premier League and the, and the, the government in particular are very concerned about that. So I think that's the main reason why the regulator is is being proposed, to make sure that clubs are protected, to make sure that, nefarious uh, owners don't come in just for their own greed and for their own benefit and to, to try and make sure that, that fans have a bigger part to play in in the running of a football club. The Premier League think they can do that themselves and they'll have their own reasons why they're, they're a little bit concerned about a regulator. Um, it, a lot of it is about power and, and who's in charge and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I, I think it, it's, it's the Manchester City charges tie into all of this, clearly, and I think that's why over the next however many months UK football, British football could be in for yeah, really, really interesting few months, and we could see quite a big change coming out of it. Will will we actually see proper punishments handed down to to Manchester City? Because we've seen moments like this in the recent past. Um, I can think of sort of two examples uh, that spring to my mind of of moments that you know a team has been has breached maybe transfer laws or regulations. Um, or financial regulations and have been punished. One was Chelsea a few years ago, about four years ago maybe, where mm. um, they were they were barred, I think, for a full season from making a transfer. That was when Frank Lampard was in yeah. charge, I believe, and they brought in a lot of youth players to, to offset mm. the, the inability to make a transfer. And then maybe two years before that was in Spain, I think Barcelona were, were banned for one transfer window for making uh, any transfers, but that was only for basically half a season. Aside from that, there aren't many that that spring to my mind. There's been certainly charges and investigations, but sometimes they just sort of get wiped away and, and maybe all the club receives is, is a slap on the wrist. So are we going to see actual, you know, substantial punishments handed to Manchester City? Is that what looks like is going to be the outcome? Well, that is, uh, Jordan, and pardon the pun, the, the $64 million question, because no one really knows, because I don't think we've seen this sort of rule breach and you mentioned the clubs that have been punished and, and you're absolutely right with, with Chelsea and, and, and Frank Lampard actually did a pretty good job that season to yeah. get Chelsea back into the Champions League with, with players that are regulars in the Chelsea team now. The likes of Rhys James got their chance and Mason, Mason Mount and, 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 and Frank Lampard with yeah and lost Eden Hazard that summer so with, yeah, with, with both hands tied behind his back did a decent job. Um, recently, Juventus, who, who very rarely out of the news, were docked 15 points in Serie A following an investigation into their transfer dealing. So that's a pretty hefty points deduction. Now, City, this, could, this genuinely could be anything, I think, from, from, you know, don't do it again, slap on the wrist. Could be a fine, which many will point out 
isn't really costing Manchester City, who almost have a limitless fund because of their owners. It could be a points deduction, but then it could be the other end of the scale, stripping Manchester City of, of their recent titles. I think they've won six maybe under the, the ownership since 2009, um, and they could even be expelled from the Premier League. All of these are being mentioned, and I don't think anyone really will get a, a feel for what might be possible until the hearing gets underway, until this independent commission really has a look. And, and based on the, the, the charges and, and the number of, of breaches, uh, you can't imagine this being a particularly quick process. But once again, it could get very political because if clubs, you know, if you're a Manchester United who what finished, I think, second three times, maybe if you're a Liverpool, if you're, you know, clubs that were second in the Premier League, I'm sure we'll point and say, well, hang on, if, if they were doing this whilst essentially financially cheating, then that's not right. And we want the title. I think there's going to be a lot of toing and throwing in the uh, in the courtroom. Manchester City have, I think, have, well, I know, I know they have. They've got the, the, the very best in the business defending them as the, the same lawyer who you might remember a couple of years ago, UEFA actually banned them from the Champions League for for financial charges, and then that was overturned. Um, so Manchester City clearly have the best minds in the business fighting their charges. Uh, they do say, as mentioned, that they're confident of overturning it. What will happen if they're found guilty is is anyone's guess, Jordan, and it'll be fascinating if they are. I mean, I'm sure if they are found guilty, they'll appeal right off the bat. But anyway, that's a conversation for another day. But if they are found guilty, yeah, fascinating to see what the punishment will be. So do you think, and what you mentioned before with the uh, the German report from a couple of years ago, do you think there'll be other clubs now who will be sort of implicated with similar uh, charges maybe uh, in the in the near future? Do you reckon we'll see more of this popping up now? Well, I, I think certainly in, in the UK, as I say, because of the, 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 the threat of a, uh, an independent regulator, uh, I wouldn't surprise me if, if the Premier League as they have done with Manchester City, try and very quickly get their house in order and try and and, and clear up any of the, the mess that may have occurred over the last few years. It, it, it's difficult to, to speculate because obviously we're not privy to to any of the of the of the financial records of, of football clubs. We know that not just in the Premier League, if you drop down a couple of levels in the Championship and League One in the in in the UK, uh, Derby County, very big football club, you know, you're. Uh, Division One title winners back in the uh, back in the day were were also charged and eventually found guilty of of financial breaches and then they got a big points deduction. They're now playing in the third tier, so there have been clubs and there have been plenty of clubs in the in the in the English game uh, that have have been caught. In terms of whether any clubs are sweating, I'm not sure. Usually with these things, you you tend to find or you tend to hear quite soon after clubs that have been investigated by undercover journalists that, that, that then come to the party and say, well, actually, yeah, this doesn't look so great or there's questions to be answered here. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a great deal of that. And as I say, the big clubs that we've heard of recently, Manchester City this week and Juventus uh, recently getting points deductions, I, 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 I wouldn't like to speculate who, who else, um, but I'm sure that this may well trigger a few more governing bodies to have a closer look at the, the financial records. And I suspect that the financial fair play regulations from the Premier League and indeed UEFA may well be scrutinised more heavily to make sure that it is a level playing field and, and clubs are all playing fairly. Chris Coles with us here on SEN, football reporter at BBC Radio in England. Uh, Chris, maybe uh, given this uh, this news topic now in the last sort of two or three days, perhaps ironically now we're getting stories out of uh, Europe and, and simultaneously Asia that Manchester United could be 
uh, taken over by Qatari owners. So reading on, on mm. Euro, Eurosport tonight that investors from Qatar are set to make a huge bid for the takeover of Manchester United, according to reports. United's owners, the Glazer family, announced their intent to explore strategic alternatives, which include the option of a sale uh, that was back in November. So that was on Eurosport at the moment that I was uh, reading that. And, um, I mean, that this has been a discussion that's been happening since about November when we found out that the Glazers were sort of shopping around maybe to, to sell Manchester United. And Qatari owners, I think, were first sort of maybe popped up and, and linked with Tottenham a few weeks ago and now, mm-hmm. and now Manchester United. So... Uh, with the backdrop of all of this, with with uh, the UAE owners at Manchester City, with the um, the somewhat sort of controversial take uh, ownership of Newcastle with the Saudi owners, now Qatar mm. uh, are looking to come in and, and take over Manchester United. They already take, uh, they've already got ownership of, of PSG in France. Um, what do you reckon the likelihood is that we'll have another club in the Premier League owned by uh, by by Arabic owners? Well, it it, 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 it it does only feel a, a matter of time, not necessarily with Manchester United, but we know that that is an area that certainly Qatar uh, and the Qataris are exploring heavily. The, the World Cup there was certainly, as far as Qatar were concerned, seen as a, as a great success. You've mentioned the Paris Saint-Germain owners, and yes, Manchester United and the Glazer family, with, with the hints dropped at the back end of last year that they would be looking to sell or at least looking for investment. It's not a surprise that the, the very wealthiest in the game are looking to explore that avenue because of the name Manchester United, albeit not the success as they had in the 90s and the, and the, the early noughties, is still one of the biggest names in, in world football. So it isn't a surprise to see that sort of thing. It's, it, it, it's difficult to speculate and it's always difficult in these situations to to counter the, the, the two arguments. You mentioned Newcastle, and you always seem to look at Newcastle with a bit of an asterisk because the fans at Newcastle are having a brilliant season. There's no doubt about that. Eddie Howe is doing a great job. They're looking good in the Premier League. They're into the League Cup final where they'll play Manchester United. And after the years of misery, the Saudi ownership have bought in terms of the success or the relative success on the field and the, and the joy around St. James's Park, they've brought that back. But as you've mentioned, it, it's shrouded in controversy because of all sorts of things, the human rights record in Saudi Arabia. And as a fan, I think that's always very difficult to balance. I, I, I think you'll, how many times, albeit, and again, this goes all the way back to the independent regulator, fans, I think, they just want, they do want success. They want to like their football team. They want to watch their team win. And a lot of the time, they're not really that bothered about what happens in the boardroom because I'm sure lots of things happen that fans don't really want to know about. But in terms of ownership like that, I think certain fans are very keen that their football club is seen as a powerful good and is seen as a good thing. And there are plenty of Newcastle fans that are quite happy with the setup and plenty that aren't. Now, when it comes to to any owner, I think fans are more and more now inclined to look at, well, are they good for the club? Will they be doing the right things? And I suspect the, the independent regulator, if it does come into the UK, that will be, the, 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 I think it will be far more stringent, if you see what I mean. The process of getting a football club will no longer will be, well, I've got the most money and therefore I'm going to buy the football club. I suspect that's what the independent regulator will try and, and solve. In terms of, of Qatar and Manchester United, I mean, yeah, listen, why not? As, as, as mentioned, they're, they're a huge club. They're going to be interested and they will be interested by the, the most wealthiest in the game. 
and it would not surprise you if, if yeah, if, if the Qataris add another huge football club to their to their ever growing portfolio. Um, and I'm sure Boyd, by by in their eyes, how successful the the Qatari World Cup was. Uh, let's transfer into, uh, pardon the pun, into uh, into some of the on-field yeah. stuff. Uh, speaking of Manchester United, they're taking uh, to the field uh, tomorrow morning, our time, seven a.m. Uh, tomorrow against Leeds. It's a home game for Manchester United. This is a Premier League fixture. We've had some FA Cup fixtures this week, but this is a Premier League match. So 7 a.m. tomorrow, Australian Eastern Daylight Time, Manchester United taking on Leeds, who have uh, who have just parted ways with their with their manager, Chris. Uh, yeah. Jesse Marsh, the American, has, has been sacked from Leeds after uh, what has been a pretty ordinary season so far. They sit 17th, which is one spot above the relegation zone. They're only outside the relegation zone on goal difference. Um, uh, Jesse Marsh, I guess he's a he's a kind of character that you want to like because he is American, which is a bit different. Having an American manager in the Premier League, mm. um, he's got I think uh, German or Austrian background. He was coaching in in continental Europe and and speaks German. He's had you know videos of him in the uh, in the in the dressing room of when he was in charge of uh, Leipzig, I think it was. You know, he's he's yeah. a he's the kind of character that you sort of want to like. But at Leeds. It just didn't quite work out for him. What went wrong for for Jesse Marsh at Leeds over this season? Yeah, you're right. Uh, well, the, the, the headline stat is, is so often these things are judged by it. Just two wins from from 17 league matches, which is a pretty damning statistic. Uh, following Marcelo Bielsa was always going to be incredibly difficult, given what a coach he is, how high profile he is, his methods the success he had with Leeds in terms of getting them up from the championship and competing back in the Premier League. But Jesse Marsh seemed a, a very good fit for all of the reasons that you outlined. Leeds w- were very keen on uh, appointing someone that that had the same outlook and same ideas that, that they had. And, and, and you, you're right, with, with Marsh, he had a, a schooling in in some of the more up-and-coming football clubs in Europe, so Salzburg in, in Austria and, and, and Leipzig, where he where he enjoyed success. And it started okay at Leeds because he, he came into a situation with Leeds towards the bottom end of the Premier League, but he, he kept them up. He survived. Uh, they had a bit of money thrown around and, and Jesse Marsh signed a couple of players that, that he knew from his, his Leipzig and, and Salzburg days. And it was hoped and thought from the Leeds point of view that they'd be able to to push on and, and certainly not find themselves in the position that they are, which is yeah, precariously close to the relegation zone. And throughout this season, it, it just didn't really get going for him. And they'd, they'd follow up some decent performances and results. And then the next week, they'd be back to abject again. Started the season well. I think they were unbeaten in the first three games. Some good wins. I remember them beating Chelsea quite convincing. It all looked good. And then suddenly, they, they hit a really poor run of form. I remember covered their game against Fulham, which was seen as a really big game for, for Jesse Marsh. It was October time. They were on a run of, I think, or six, seven without a win and Fulham who was seen as a team they should be beating at home. They lost. I remember speaking to Jesse Marsh after the game and, and asked him, are you worried now about your job? Because it's not looking good. And, and he gave a perfectly reasonable answer about, I'm, I, you know, I'll keep working. But I think the feeling was around Ellen Road that that would be his last game. And then what happens? The next two matches, he beats Liverpool at Anfield mm-hmm. and then they beat Bournemouth at Ellen Road and all seems fine again. And then, bang, they're back to, to losing games. There is some sympathy because recently they were playing better football. They had a couple of wins in the FA Cup, a draw at home to Brentford, they played pretty well, and they lost to Nottingham Forest on Sunday. And they played well, they shouldn't have lost the game, but that's always a bit of a 
a tame argument when it comes to uh, the harsh reality of the Premier League and boardrooms. I think good results is what matters. Good performances, not so much. So, yeah, Jesse Marsh gone. Interesting to see who they, they bring in next. So they, they want a, an appointment um, before the Sunday's game where they actually play Manchester United again. A bit of a quirk of a fixture list because of um, a, a few fixtures that that fell by the wayside. And uh, it's, it's Rio Vallecano's uh, Adroni Iriola, who is the favourite, who looks like he could be getting the job again. Relatively unknown quantity in this country, but has done some very good things with Rio Vallecano. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. We'll see what happens tonight. Manchester United clear favourites. They're in good form. They're having a great season under Eric Ten Hag. If they win tonight, they'll go level on points with Manchester City in second, albeit United would have played a game more. Uh, you would expect them to win, despite their influential midfielder, Casemiro, being out with suspension. Yeah, I think anything other than a Manchester United win tonight would be seen as a as a surprise. Last one for you, Chris, and away from England, looking uh, way ahead into the uh, into the future, the 2030 World Cup. Um, it's been uh, revealed, I suppose, in the last 24 hours that a bid, a joint bid from four nations in South America for the hosting rights of the 2030 World Cup has emerged with Argentina, Chile, Paraguay and Uruguay all set to uh, to join um, and and try and bid for the World Cup. Now, this would be the 100th uh, anniversary of the World Cup from mm. the first one back in 1930, which was hosted uh, and won by Uruguay. So Uruguay wanting... Uh, it seems that Uruguay have wanted to be part of this and trying to get the hosting rights. I've had, I think, a, a joint bid with... Um, I think it was Argentina uh, as a two-team uh, or a two-sort-of-nation uh, uh, hosting rights. And now they've got the four nations with Paraguay and Chile also included in that. Do you reckon it will go to to? Do you reckon FIFA has a bit of a uh, bit of romance left in them, and they will give it to Uruguay along with uh, any amount of hosts co-hosting nations? It's a lovely story, isn't it? And and yeah, I think that the the the, the football traditionalists would would love to see it. A hundred years since Uruguay, if Uruguay can be part of a joint bid in in twenty thirty. Uh, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me. I think the only thing that you would say, which slightly counts against it, is obviously the next iteration is 2026. And albeit not South America, it's it's very much North America, USA, Mexico, and Canada. Now, obviously, it's, it's, it's a huge it's continent, it's a huge part of the world, so it's not as if it's, it's anywhere close. But FIFA, as we know, like to, to move it around the world. If you look at the last few tournaments, uh, what was it last in South America? So it would have been Brazil, wouldn't it? 2014. Mm. Then Russia, 2018. Qatar uh, last year. USA, Mexico, 2026. You kind of feel that it'd be back in Europe, maybe 2030. I know that as always, that there are a few nations in, in Europe that will be sniffing around it. Maybe uh, to to Asia. I mean, what Japan, South Korea back in 2002. It, that side of the world has kind of been catered for in 2026. However. As we saw with UEFA, with their uh, rather ill-fated 2020 Euros, which they did uh, celebrate the anniversary, they did around, I think, what was it, 10 or 12 countries? It wasn't just one country that hosted it, it was around all Europe, and the the travel was a bit of a nightmare, but you can understand why they were doing it to celebrate the, the anniversary. Would FIFA do it? it? It wouldn't surprise me. And what also helps, Jordan, is that Argentina, having just won the World Cup, I think if they can jump on that, 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 that there is some nice romance behind that. And Argentina, I'm sure, jumping on the the uh, the, the, the good mood and, and the joy from winning the World Cup, using that feeling and that euphoria to put in a bid, throw in 100 years since the first one in Uruguay. I think they've got every chance. And you know what? It wouldn't surprise me at all. And would, I think it would be lovely. I, I, don't, I don't think anyone would mind particularly. 
Um, so we'll have to wait and see how that develops. Yeah, and then a couple of a couple of first time hosts as well with uh, with Paraguay mm. thrown in there too. So you get a bit of everything with those with those four nations. Um, Chris, thank you very much. That was a big, expansive chat on everything happening. Well, not everything. There's still a lot more, but most of the big stuff happening in uh, in football right now, especially in England. But I appreciate your time and. Uh, enjoy the uh, the fixtures coming up this weekend as the uh, as the title race uh, mm. continues in the Premier League. Yeah, looking forward to it. Cheers, Jordan. Speak soon. Thank you, Chris Coles from the BBC Football Reporter from uh, BBC Radio, BBC Five Live with us here on SEN this evening. We'll take a break. We'll come back after this. We'll recap the headlines of the day here on SEN. Uh, all that and more coming your way next here across the station.